This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. And well, welcome to First Move this Thursday and a reminder of today's top stories, including what you were just hearing. The Minsk mystery, the president of Belarus telling CNN the Wagner chief, Evgeny Prigozhin, is in Russia, not Belarus, raising all sorts of questions about the Wagner group's future and the deal that ended Prigozhin's rebellion. And a Russian redux, or was Prigozhin ever in Minsk at all? Russia also allegedly raiding Prigozhin's home and allegedly finding wigs, weapons and more. And let's include China's challenge. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen arriving in Beijing for talks, paving the way. I think everyone hopes for a future President Xi-President Biden summit. But serious trade issues divide the economic superpowers and expectations once again for the trip are relatively low. And a threads threat, a mega day for Meta as Mark Zuckerberg's Twitter-like challenger debuts. Some 10 million users have apparently already signed up. Threads butting heads with Elon Musk. But is it a social media platform contender or a pretender? We'll be discussing. And from threads to reds. Oh dear, US futures falling and European markets losing more than one and a half percent across the board there for the majors, as you can see, after a major U.S. jobs jolt. Employers added almost half a million jobs last month. That's according to ADP. That should be great news. It was more than double expectations. But of course, the numbers now fueling fears of a further rate hike by the Federal Reserve later this month. And tied to that, we also saw an immediate jump in bond yields. Benchmark U.S. 10-year yields shooting above 4% for the first time since March. The big question now is, will Friday's U.S. jobs report confirm this apparent strength. Oh, the Federal Reserve have a big challenge still on their hands. Okay, let's move on now to a world where artificial intelligence can help us tackle some of the most pressing humanitarian challenges. That's the vision behind the AI for Good Global Summit currently being held in Geneva. It brings together AI experts and 40 agencies from the United Nations, including the World Food Programme, to showcase just how technologies like AI can help and already are. Already in use is Sky, a tool that assesses damage needs and resources after a disaster and can coordinate a swift response. 
And the mission for the World Food Programme is clear and critical. With 345 million people facing high levels of food insecurity this year, just to give you a sense, that's more than twice as many as back in 2020. Now joining us to discuss is Bernard Kovac, he's head of the Innovation Accelerator at the World Food Programme. Great to have you on the show, Bernard. Let's just start by discussing what the Innovation Accelerator is and does. So the Innovation Accelerator of the World Food Programme identifies, supports and scales innovations and technologies such as startups that can help us either make emergency response more effective and efficient or sustainably end hunger. And as you're saying, like 345 million people marching towards starvation, like the need has never uh, been higher and we need innovations to make a step change towards like reaching all of them and also reach a world without hunger. I mean, you have all sorts of hubs I notice in Kenya, Latin America, Colombia, Jordan, Tanzania. So you've got operations going on elsewhere, I think, I assume to identify need. How do you pick projects? Let's talk about that because there's a whole host that we'll get into more detail on. But how do you choose? How do you pilot them and then go in for perhaps scalability and and push money towards them to to see what you can do to improve things? So as part of the World Food Program, the world's largest humanitarian organization fighting hunger, it's like it, we have operations in 120 countries and territories, whether it's in Ukraine, in South Sudan or in Venezuela. Like this is where we like they, we have people on the ground who are helping those who are most vulnerable, the people in need. And so like what we do, we're looking for the best innovations and startups globally. And then we match make them with problems that we're seeing on the ground. We typically then invite them to what we call an innovation bootcamp. And it, we support teams with up to $100,000 of grant funding hands-on support and connections to partners in our field offices. And then again, the best teams, they go into scaling. And so some of those innovations and startups, they already reach millions of people and improve people's lives. Okay, I've got so many questions. Where does the money come from, first and foremost? Is it part of the donations that come in to the World Food Programme? You just take a chunk out and say, look, we're going to put this towards innovation. No, so all of the World Food Program is voluntarily funded. So like when you're donating to the World Food Program or also like through our fundraising app, Share the Meal, which is like, you know, you can actually go to the app and like for 80 cents, you can feed a child for a full day. Um, like you can actually choose where your money goes. You can say like, I want to support like uh, providing emergency aid in Ukraine uh, or like uh, support women's empowerment in Zambia. Like, so there's different things you can do. As Innovation Accelerator, we also raise our own funds. So like we are relying on government, so it's the German government, the US government, uh, but also like large corporates like Google uh, or the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that support us, including individuals that, you know, they say, you know, we believe that innovation is the way to help people in need, like using this private sector investment logic to also then move to the next level of impact. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we've talked about the World Food Programme's efforts around the world on many occasions on this show, but I'd never actually heard of the Innovation Accelerator. And I love the fact that you not only try and improve the situation in wherever you are in the world, but there's also jobs involved and we'll get to it. Um, You mentioned Google. So let's talk about the Sky Project and and the um, partnership between Google Research and what you're doing there and how that's utilising artificial intelligence to um, create better solutions for people and identify problems. 
No, Sky is really exciting for us. Where the, the basic uh, problem that we're tackling with that is that in an emergency response, and we, we actually use this in uh, the emergency, like you'll remember the earthquake in Syria and Turkey that was devastating early in the year. Mm. Uh, what Sky does, it uses satellite images and AI to detect buildings and damage assessments. And we, we can do this within 48 hours now. Uh, instead of previously, this would have taken two to three weeks of people manually looking at satellite images. Now imagine the impact that this could have that, you know, now we have with much greater precision, like two weeks earlier, we have data that informs us, you know, where do we need to bring the food? Where do we, where will we find more people who are actually suffering from hunger in immediate needs? Um, and like, so this is something that I'm really, really excited about because it just shows the power of artificial intelligence, not only because, yes, it's faster, but, you know, it can improve our operation and improve people's lives as well, you know, because we can reach them a lot earlier. Yeah, it just makes you far more efficient. Can you also use this to look at farming areas as well that are either damaged or that crops are perhaps not growing the way you'd like them to just to give you a some sense of an indication or forward prediction about challenges that you might have in crop yields as well which is going to limit the amount of resources that you have it's clearly been a problem that we've seen in ukraine absolutely and it's one of the areas we have a another tool that's called hunger map live it's actually online uh hungermap.wfp.org everybody can look at that where we also use ground data like surveys we are doing as world food program but overlay this with artificial intelligence and the team is actually working on now forecasting food security including other indicators that we're seeing like in terms of drought and other things but you know even in our portfolio for the innovation accelerator we have a startup called ignitia they are actually offering the same precision agriculture innovation uh, information that uh, large-scale farms in the u.s might have to smallholder farmers in developing countries and they already have 2.6 million customers smaller farmers in developing countries that now can improve the yields to up to 20 percent purely because of AI satellite images and making the knowledge more accessible and democratize the access to uh, this kind of knowledge. Yeah, the power of technology. One of the other projects that you've um, worked on is Impact, and it's about connecting young people in food insecure regions and providing them with skills, digitization skills, data analytic training. Talk to me about that because it caught my attention because we talk a lot about labeling mm -hmm. data and analyzing data to train artificial intelligence models. And these are the kind of skills that you're providing with these people. Talk to me about those roles and to what extent they go on to get jobs as a result. No, the, the basic idea were, behind Impact was to empower people uh, that are young, that you know they have a future in front of them, but because they have to flee from a war or they just happen to be growing up in an area where they don't have economic opportunity, like how could we bring them into the digital economy? Um, and like historically, organization would train people to become carpenter or something. But now, why not actually um, uh, choose to do digital training and bring people, connect them to jobs online? And this is what MPEG does. It's now active in uh, multiple countries, including like Iraq, uh, in Lebanon, in Kenya, uh, where we've also been proving that it's not only the very first part that, you know, when people have never worked with a computer before, the very first thing you can do is like do data labeling, cleaning that you actually need to use uh, to train artificial intelligence data. Um, but then, you know, once they have done that, they can go into actually doing other jobs, you know, becoming a website designer, becoming a social media manager. These are the types of jobs that you can actually do remotely. And 
all of a sudden they can provide for themselves and the family um, rather than being dependent on donations and food assistance from the World Food Programme. Yeah, and we, we were just showing the statistics of how many people this is actually achieved and actually the majority, and it's a minor majority, but it caught my attention, female students, so empowering women in particular. No, and this is one of the areas like that we are choosing to do in all of our programs. We, in, when we're selecting startups or innovations, we're always also cross-checking not only for female leadership on those teams, but also like whether those innovations are fostering gender equality. And I think as per design, like some of these innovations like Impact lend themselves to, yes, we also on purpose wanted to train up uh, young women to actually become part of the digital workforce and provide for themselves and the families. Yeah, it's important for all, but it's great to hear women getting involved in this too, because I do think in certain parts of the world, certainly um, they're getting left behind and it's, fright it's frightening. Um, Regulation. You're at an event that's doing a great job, I think, of promoting the beneficial uses of technologies like artificial intelligence. But certainly when we start to talk about generative artificial intelligence, there's fear. Big industry players are warning about things like AI, Armageddon. What's your view on that as someone who's saying, look, um, OK, we can perhaps talk about the risks, but we also need to understand the beneficial aspects of this technology and we're utilising it today. It's definitely an area where I think you do need to have a solid look into like the ethics of AI, but also like the equality of access to that, like including like not just having access in like Silicon Valley and like different parts of, uh, you know, countries that are happen to be developed, but like also like how do you actually bring in community groups, governments, like people who are currently not having access or maybe not even having access to internet right now or, or electricity or running water. And, like, and I think this is an element of when you're starting to look into this, how to uh, leave no one behind in that and like actually having an informed choice of doing things, I think is an aspect that is really important. But then again, it's, it's one of those aspects of like just calling for everybody to actually join forces and for responsible development of technology where uh, we want to develop a better future, a future where technology is improving people's lives. Um, and there it will be important to actually develop then also like standards and coming together on some of these innovations where you don't want to put people at risk, but you want to improve their lives. So this is going to be the big goal. Yeah, the balance that has to be found. Um, very quickly, for those that may be thinking about donating, um, just give us the numbers again of the people that the Innovation Accelerator has directly helped, how many lives you've touched. So as Innovation Accelerator, we support innovations and startups uh, in, across the globe. And like it, this is where last year those innovations have impacted the lives of 37 million people already. So since we started every single year, the number of people that they've reached has doubled. Um, and what's also to show like, you know, you know, you think, you know, maybe it's a, it's a pilot, maybe it's a small startup that we're first, uh, um, you know, supporting. Those startups, once they're essentially also through the acceleration phase, they've totally raised a total of $200 million of grant funding already. Hmm. Just going to show like, you know, you can start small, but you can have big impact. Yeah, incredible. That was slightly longer than I was looking for. But to your point, 37 million people helped and $200 million of, of capital that they've raised themselves, which um, says a great deal to me. Um, Bernard, great to chat to you. Thank you for the work that you and your team are doing. Um, great to understand the head of the Innovation Accelerator there at the World Food Programme. Thank you. Okay, still ahead.
The Musk versus Zuckerberg cage match taken to a whole new level. Well, a different platform. The gloves are off as Meta's new Threads app debuts. Will it pack a powerful punch in the social media wars? We'll discuss after this. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks losing ground in early trade this Thursday. Tech stocks seeing the biggest pullback. Stocks lower as strong U.S. private sector jobs data fuels fears of more Fed tightening. We saw that, of course. Tech stocks very sensitive to interest rate rises. And we saw the bond markets moving immediately. Before today's report, those futures were already pointing to an 85% chance of another rate hike later this month anyway. And we're going to get a further read on the strength of the jobs market Friday when that all-important U.S. jobs report for June will be released. But right now, as you can see, off some 1% across the board in early trade. Now, Meta today unspooling a new social media app that it hopes can take on Twitter. Threads already turning heads with some 10 million people signing up for the service in just the first few hours. But hey, that's still a far cry from Twitter's audience of around 300 million active users. Can Threads thread the needle and one day match Musk? Here to have... uh, a go at answering that. Sarah Fisher joins me now. Um, I'm great. And I can't wait to hear your insight on this. The key difference between them is we've, we know Instagram already has, what, two billion active users, and they've made it very easy to transfer between one and the other. What do you make of this, Sarah? Is it a contender? It's absolutely a contender, Julia. I cover technology and media. So every time there's a new Twitter competitor that launches, whether it's Blue Sky or Mastodon or Spill, I sign up. And I will tell you the amount of notifications I am getting on my phone from new followers, from engagement with my threads is blowing up in a way that these other competitors never did. Now, it could be because I have a little bit of a larger Instagram following, but I think it's just because this app is so accessible to so many people, you're going to get a lot of conversions very, very early on. Now, the question is, can you continue to convert those Instagram users? You said, you know, well over a billion worldwide over to be threads users and at a pace and a clip that can really put some competitive pressure on Twitter. I'm actually pretty hopeful that it probably could. I think that the fact that it's so accessible and those so many people using Instagram daily means that they're going to be able to convert people and put some serious pressure on Elon Musk's Twitter. Of course, as you know, this is coming at a time when Twitter is really struggling to reel advertisers back in. Its subscription product, Twitter Blue, is not doing that great. It's almost like the perfect moment that Mark Zuckerberg could have launched this app. 
Yeah, it's ripe for some real disruption to your point. And there are so many similarities, I think, in the use of it, probably purposefully to allow people to switch. But I guess one of the questions I would ask is the audiences are different. Those that use Instagram um, are different, I think, for the, from those that use Twitter and the kind of information that you get from Twitter. And Elon Musk sort of hinted at that. Um, on social media when he tweeted out um, about the Threads launch and suggested that, you know, he'd rather have, I think I've got the, I've got it here. He said, it's infinitely preferable to be attacked by strangers on Twitter than indulge in false happiness of hide the pain on Instagram. Um, He has a point. It's sort of a point about moderation, perhaps, and the differences there, but also the kind of use of this platform. Sarah, what do you think? I I don't think you can compare a text-based app to a video and a sharing app. And so I actually think threads is very similar to Twitter. And I don't think that the user experience feels at all like Instagram. There are two key differences, though. One is that when you converted your profile over from Instagram over into threads, if you were already verified, you become verified again on threads. Now, the difference is that with Twitter, the people who were commonly verified are people like journalists, public officials, people in government, municipalities. On Instagram, the people who are verified are like artists, creators, et cetera. And so they might have to tinker a little bit with that. But one huge advantage here, I'd say, Julia, is that when I imported my Threads account from Instagram, all of my privacy settings, all of my safety settings automatically switched over. Right now with Twitter, it's so hard to even be able to tell what are the rules, right? Like what's privacy, what's not, what are the limits for what I can tweet, what's not, because they're changing all day under Elon Musk. At least with this new app, Threads, the first time in a platform like that, I actually felt like I had some consistency. And that's what users have been craving under the Elon Musk regime, but they're just not getting it. Yeah, I mean, part of that is the monetization problem at Twitter cutting a huge chunk of the workforce to try and and save money, the verification system that's now paid for or charged by Twitter. How do you think and and what do you think um, Mark Zuckerberg feels about monetizing this new product? Admittedly, it's early days, but the real challenges for Twitter have come in actually trying to balance the books. Every time Meta launches some sort of new product, whether it was for a long time ago, their cryptocurrency product DM, or it was this latest bout with the metaverse, the consistent thing has always been, we're going to capture your attention and sell ads around it. It's always been the business model. And so that's going to be the business model for threads. We're going to get a lot of user engagement. We're going to put ads in around it. And Meta is very good at that copy-paste strategy. When they imported stories from Snapchat years ago, they were very quick to input vertical video ads that you saw on Snapchat into Instagram and Facebook. And by the way, they did it so well that they were the ones that got ad agencies to really adopt the format, not Snapchat, which had invented it. And so I think that you're going to see a large advertising push out of Meta around this product. The only question, Julia, is can it get enough mass user adoption for Meta to think it's worth it and not sunset it? If you go to Axios.com this morning, I have a huge long chart of every single feature that they've ever created, whether it was a clone of the Cameo app or the Neighbors uh, Nextdoor app. And a lot of times after like 20 months, they sunset the app because it doesn't have a user engagement. I will say when it comes to threads, Mark Zuckerberg said yesterday that they had over 2 million people that had registered. In fact, if you take a look at the conversions on the app, it looks like it's probably over 3 million right now. A lot of the apps that I highlighted that were sunsetted, Julia, they only had a few hundred thousand. So already, I don't think that you're going to be putting threads in the bucket of the graveyard apps that have died under Meta. 
Yeah, but he tweeted, uh, oh, I was going to say he tweeted there, but he didn't. He threaded, if that's what we're allowed to say. Um, I think there should be a public conversation app with one billion plus people on it. This is what Zuckerberg posted on Wednesday. Twitter had the opportunity to do this, but hasn't nailed it. Hopefully we will. So we may be talking about a few million today. He's aiming for a billion plus. We'll reconvene on this conversation. Um, Sarah, great to have you on as always. Thank you for your wisdom. Okay. Still to come on First Move, easing the climate crisis one block at a time. I'll speak to the CEO of the startup looking to convert American cities to green energy. That's next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast. New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. to first move up on the rooftops of buildings all around the world a quiet revolution is taking place solar panels and other forms of renewable energy are replacing fossil fueled reliant devices but it's clearly not happening fast enough our next guest is dedicated to bringing smart green technologies to all communities especially the underserved block power uses its own software to analyze finance and upgrade buildings block by block the company says it can reduce energy costs by up to 50% and greenhouse gas emissions by up to 70%. Donald Baird is the CEO and co-founder of Block Power and he joins us now. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. I saw that you got the Time Dreamer of the Year Award in 2022. So congratulations on that. Give me the Block Power dream. What's your ambition? Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you and your audience. Block Power is focused on electrifying buildings, removing fossil fuel equipment for heating and air conditioning and hot water heating, taking all of that fossil fuel equipment out of buildings in the same way that electric vehicle manufacturers take fossil fuel engines out of vehicles. You replace those fossil fuel engines with all electric engines. We replace fossil fuel equipment in buildings with all electric equipment for heating, cooling, and hot water. Because we can electrify one building, that means we can do a whole city block. Because we can do a whole city block, it means we can actually electrify a whole city filled with buildings, and that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions in America by 20 to 30%. Okay, I'm already loving your um, ambition and your enthusiasm for this. Let's take a step back because I know you've completed more than 5,000 energy efficiency projects nationwide, 1,200 buildings, I believe, just in New York City. Um, You've sort of given us the grand theme here, which I love, but how do you go in there and say, even to the building owners, hey, these are your sort of greenhouse gas emissions. These are the upgrades that we can do. And now someone's got to pay for it. So let me show you the the sort of paperwork and help you understand how you can do this and how it can pay pay dividends. Well, great question. One of the first things we do is we have to educate each and every building owner on the possibilities for electrifying and reducing greenhouse gas emissions from their particular building. But it's not just greenhouse gas emissions we're also removing the source of air pollution. A a study from Stanford came out last week 
that says that the gas ovens and gas hot water heating systems and gas uh, heating and air conditioning systems in American homes produce nitrogen dioxide, they produce methane, they produce benzene. They produce so much benzene that, that cooking with this equipment in your home is actually worse than breathing in secondhand cigarette smoke. And so we educate customers and building owners about not only the impact for the planet and the impact for saving money on their high fossil fuel oil and gas bill costs that we pay on a monthly basis for energy, but we also educate families on the threat that burning fossil fuels in your home poses to the health and well-being uh, of your children. These devices, these fossil fuel equipment, they leak uh, benzene and nitrogen dioxide even when they're not on. And so when our children are sleeping, the Stanford studies are showing us that we're all breathing in this toxic pollution from burning fossil fuels in our home. So we explain all of that to our customers who own and operate buildings. Uh, second, we've worked with Jeff Bezos and his philanthropy to build a digital model of 125 million buildings across America. The US Department of Energy under President Biden and Jeff Bezos have, have funded our work to build a digital twin or a digital model of every building in America. And so we can use machine learning and statistics to analyze and understand the electrification and sustainability possibilities in each and every building across America. And so we share all of that information with our building owners and with our customers, and hopefully they'll make the right decision for them and their family. Wow, there was a lot of information in there again. Um, I haven't read the study and I can't challenge the science, nor do I want to, because I don't want to get distracted in a sense, but it has to be a conversation. Talk to me about how it's financed. So even if you have the owner of a building on board and they've got loads of tenants, it's a logistical nightmare to make a lot of these changes. How much time does it take to convert a building and who finances it? Is it just a case of saying, look, this is going to pay dividends in five years, in 10 years. You just have to suck up the cost because at this point in time, particularly for building owners in big cities, spending any kind of money is a, is a tough choice, even if it's for the good of your tenants. You've asked great questions about construction and financing. What are the logistics of actually implementing this vision? And uh, we don't think that we can tell building owners, hey, go figure it out on your own. This is too complicated. Anyone who's renovated their home recently, whether it's a basement renovation or getting new cupboards in the kitchen, construction projects are complex. They can be expensive. They certainly can be aggravating and frustrating. So yes, overhauling, and replacing the fossil fuel infrastructure of your building, of your home, of your apartment building, of your church, of your synagogue, of your mosque, these are complicated construction processes. And what my company does is, is work with construction firms to plan out a multi-phase step-by-step approach to handle all of the project management and logistics uh, of electrifying buildings for each and every building. So that's construction. And we use augmented reality and all the latest construction project management software from Procore. That's one of our partners. They're the biggest construction software firm in the world. Um, they've donated a bunch of software to us so that we can use our software to further use their software to further our mission. On financing, we've partnered with Goldman Sachs and Microsoft, two of the biggest investors in our startup. They uh, provided about $100 million for us to get started providing a low cost green energy lease to building owners. We don't think that it's fair to ask homeowners and families uh, to just figure out the cost of 
uh, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 upfront to pay for building electrification. So the financing from Microsoft and Goldman allows us to stretch out the cost of building electrification over time, over 15 years. And so it functions just like a home mortgage. Most folks don't have enough money laying around to buy a home uh, with cash in their bank account. They have to go to a bank and get a mortgage. And that mortgage stretches out payments over time to make the process of buying a home affordable. Our financing from Goldman and Microsoft allows us to do that so that regular working American families can access the full benefits of clean energy and electrification in their home. And hopefully uh, the cost of making that monthly payment for their clean energy electrification upgrades is lower than the cost that they were paying for fossil fuels yeah. before the renovation. Yeah. The question is how quickly. Um, I've run out of time and I have a million other questions for you, um, but it's fascinating to hear your back. work. I know. <laughs> I'm already, I'm locking you in. You're coming back to talk about it. Thank you, because there's, there's good innovation and there's the financing of this is key and you have some great partners too. And I want to talk about the bigger ambitions because mapping 125 million buildings across um, America, you have a, a challenge on your hands. Um, great to have you on. We have no choice, but I'm so no, glad to be here with you and yeah. happy to talk. We have to act. Uh, the CEO and founder of Block Power. We shall reconvene, sir. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. still to come. This week, the planet saw its hottest day on record. We know it's partly a human-made problem, but this year, nature also playing a part too. Details after this. Welcome back to First Move. This week saw the hottest global temperature ever recorded. That's according to two climate tracking agencies. On Tuesday, the average world temperature climbed above 17 degrees Celsius, and experts are warning the record could be broken several more times this year. Joining us now is CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir. Bill, it's the same old, but this is a triple whammy. Um, we're approaching summer in the Northern Hemisphere. We have the impact of El Nino and global warming all tied in, and we're not even at peak summer yet. Exactly, and sadly, this is sort of how it begins. If we're gonna move past 1.5 degrees, that ceiling set by the Paris Accords, uh, World Meteorological Organization predicts we have about a 66% chance of blowing past that in just the next couple of years. And this is how it happens. A record set on Monday, broken on Tuesday. It would tied yesterday. As you say, it's just over 17 degrees Celsius. That's just under 63 degrees Fahrenheit. And that sounds like a perfectly pleasant temperature. But you have to account that that includes the half of the planet that is in winter right now. And we're seeing high temperatures in Antarctica, as well as in the northern reaches of Quebec, way in the Arctic Circle, where on Monday it was warmer than Miami. So the strange anomaly of this, and so much of that heat is locked up in the ocean. Julie, I can think of a, no, a more frightening unit of measurement than Hiroshima's per second, but that's how they measure the excess energy that is trapped by heat trapping pollution out there. A few years ago, we were, our jaws were on the floor when it was announced that the oceans were absorbing five Hiroshima's per second, the energy of that atomic bomb in World War II. Now it's up to 10. And a big reason for that is because the Southern hemisphere has lost an area of sea ice about the size of India. And instead of all of that white ice reflecting sunlight, it's now dark ocean absorbing it. Wow. I've only got about 30 seconds left. Do we have any predictions based on not hitting those Paris climate targets of how many Hiroshima's we're talking about in the near future? 
That's a phenomenal Yeah, stat. I mean, that, it just seems like we are, we're destined to go past it. Stopping yeah. it around two uh, would be key to saving as much coral, as much life on Earth as we can. There's still agency to avoid the absolute worst. But here we are. It's the age of r broken record breaking. Yeah, we'll keep banging the drum, Bill, for more action. Devastating consequences. Thank you, as always. But we're there. Okay, and that's it for the show. If you've missed any of our interviews today, they will be on my Twitter and Instagram pages. You can search for at CNN. Connect World is up next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.